0: what that even means. We're so thankful that, that we are not stuck here on our own, that you have given us a hope, you have given us yourself, you've given us your son. We look forward to the day where we can tell you face to face how great you are and all that you've done for us and we are thankful for that because we know that that day is coming. We pray that you'd help us now as we look into your word. I pray that you'd help us to know what we ought to be about, where we should be heading. We are so thankful that you love us and you care about us, and you uh, care about us enough to have told us what we should be doing in your word. And so we look forward to looking at that today, and uh, we would pray that you'd help us now to listen. In Christ's name, amen.
1: Man, aren't you glad to be here this morning? Yeah? Uh, you got to understand. It's been a little bit of a, a wild morning for us. Anybody was anyone sitting in the dark with us in first service? Oh yeah, we got a few of you back. So, uh, yeah, we had to cut first service short. So if you returned, this will be different than then. Um, the uh, the goal this morning uh, is to encourage you. This is the second week where we're talking about really a little bit of uh, our philosophy what it is that we desire to see accomplished in our church. And uh, Pete is actually going to be preaching. I'm just here because he stole my notes last week. And uh, I'm so thankful. I got to tell you, he got back from vacation, and I had called him. I had the flu, so I was running a fever. I couldn't hardly talk. And I I just like, man, there's a spare set of notes. And uh, Pete was able to go in, grab those notes Saturday evening, uh, and was able to preach Sunday morning uh, I, I, with great impact. So are not you thankful for uh, those guys that can step in. <clears throat> um, but I did uh, wanna touch, based on a, um, one part of the notes, since I had written those notes last week, and uh, I had written in there something that I was intending to share. It said in there, uh, Justin almost died, so what's the succession plan? Uh, And that was a little awkward for Pete to handle that question, knowing um, he was in the answer, you know. And so I would like to tackle uh, that from a different perspective. Um, What I pray that we see, and as we're getting ready to hear from Pete this morning, what I want you to understand, we come week after week as a family, all of us sheep, to be fed by the Word of God. Amen? That's the goal. But our prayer is that you wouldn't see uh, a person. Uh, or programs, but that you would be focused on Christ. That's our desire, that we would be able to connect you with him. I'm really thankful uh, that in these last couple years, coming back from uh, being sick, that that all it takes is a cold, and all of a sudden everybody in the church is showing up with lasagna, right? (laughs) I am so thankful for this church. You guys are so supportive, and I thank you for your immediate concern that maybe, you know, is this it? This is the last time he's checking out, and uh, I want to tell you, that the doctors tell me I'm doing pretty well, okay? So, yes, thank you, Lisa. I, uh, I am so thankful for you, Lisa. I am glad you're here this morning. I, I, everybody needs a fan club, and I am blessed to have you here. I do think this. They, they, uh, the treatment aged my body a little bit, and so um, how I respond to things, it's a little slower for me to recover, but I'm really in a good place. They, the, the issues that I'm facing, they, they've got dialed in. I, I think they're going to be able to see me safely through. I, we got good doctors. I'm in a good place. I have a little trouble walking, a little trouble seeing, a little trouble with my digestion. So basically, I'm 75. Okay? Can I get a uh, amen from anyone? But I'm really doing okay for the shape I'm in, all right? I'm encouraged. I don't want you to worry about that. I want you to think about the fact that we do not focus on programs or people here. Our goal is that you wouldn't be focused on an individual. Uh, When I was growing up, we had a lot of irrigation in southern Oregon that I would see, and there was a unique way that they did it when I did my first uh, youth ministry stint up in Moses Lake, Washington. Uh, If anybody has seen that, uh, you see the great big irrigation ditches that they have, Uh, and then there would be wide open fields, uh, and they would teach kids when there's water, was running through there to go along with these siphons. And they had these big metal siphons. And they would take those, they would tip them up upside down, right? So they'd get water in them, tip them upside down, and then flip them back over. And the siphon would start, and it would begin to draw water out of that irrigation ditch and into the field. And the reason for that is simple. Y- you can take a bunch of people when there's a drought, and get them out there with some cups, right? And they can dip into the water and then run out into the field and begin to water in an emergency that field. It's not super effective, but in an excited moment when you say, hey, the plants are dying, you can get a bunch of people to do that. That's a program. But programs depend on all the energy and organization. It's all dependent on the individual. You've got to run around and eventually you get tired. Or let's say that you have a really uh, gifted individual. They've got a bucket. And say you're going to a place and you say, Well, I like that pastor or I like this teaching series or whatever it is. They've got a bucket for your life. But once again, they got to go and dip that out and run out into the field. Our goal here is not to focus on a bunch of people running around with cups. Our prayer is that the Spirit of God will tip you upside down, that, that we can be a part of seeing you flipped upside down and put right so that when the Spirit of God is flowing through you, the entire field gets watered and nobody is getting tired. You're all energized by the Spirit of God, amen? We should see people filled up by the Spirit of God uh, and they're reaching everybody around them and impacting everyone around them and you might forget who's leading it, but you know who's in control. It's the Spirit of God, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we want you to see. And I think what we've seen in the last couple of years is that it doesn't matter who's preaching, as long as they're bringing the word, as long as all of the people that rally here week after week are focused on the Lord, the Spirit of God will flow through and take care of everybody that's in the midst. That is our prayer for you, not that you'd focus on uh, people, uh, and and me in particular. Our succession plan is we just want to make sure that we raise up a generation of people who handle the word accurately, focus on Christ in the right way, that you would ultimately forget who the leaders are, but you would never forget Jesus. That's what we want. Amen? One of the things that we've seen in our church is uh, in every area of ministry, in the last month we've watched people get saved. Every area of ministry, right down into children's ministry, we've seen people get uh, saved in these ministries, but it's not just new growth. We've watched... Mature believers get challenged once again to grow deeper in their faith, and we've watched people that have just been muddling along come alive in a fresh way. Every stage of growth has been impacted, and each one of them, it's a different way that they were stirred, but the Spirit of God was in it all. We want to make sure that that's what we see. I want to remind you of one last thing, and I think it got brought up last week, but in 1 Corinthians, Paul is exhorting this carnal church, and he says, now I exhort you brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there shouldn't be divisions among you, but that you be made complete in one mind with the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now, I mean this. Each one of you is saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul wasn't crucified for you. Or were you baptized in the name of Paul, he says? No. Those leaders don't mean what Christ means. The sign of a carnal church is that they would pick a leader and say, well, I'm behind them, or I'm behind them, or I'm behind them. But what God wants for us as a church is that we would say we're following Jesus, all right? And it also says, I was told by Chloe's people. This is my prayer, all right? There's lots of jokes that have been made up about Chloe's people. Right? That's the person who comes up to you all the time and they say, hey, you know, people are saying, I'd like to run Chloe's people out of the building. All right? Let's focus on, do you know what Jesus is saying? Do you know what the Lord is saying? Let's be about making sure that if we're going to touch somebody's life, we're elevating them in the Savior. Our succession plan is we're going to let God raise up whoever he will, but we as a church are going to focus on seeing the Spirit of God active in every single life, so that everything gets done here and that we impact our community and we see a generation raised up that are bright lights for the savior. That's our desire, amen? So with that said, I'm going to invite one of those next generation guys up here. Let's give uh, Pete a welcome. Pete didn't get to preach this, so he's all pent up, all right? Last service, we got cut short, and so uh, this is his first time through. Give him room. Let me pray for you, and uh, you can hit it. Father, I thank you uh, for Pete. I thank you for Matt, Carl. I thank you for leaders that you brought to our church. I thank you for all these individuals that we can look at uh, and see you alive in them. And I pray now you give Pete the ability to preach what you've laid on his heart Father help us to be able to listen, but also I pray that you would help us to be a generation that chases strong after you. We pray in Jesus name. amen.
0: Good morning, church. Good morning. I think I'm turned on there we go. You guys ready to hear from God's word? Let's do it. Ephesians chapter three, would you turn your Bibles there? This is a pretty surreal opportunity for me uh Back in 2015, I was sitting in the garage with my wife. Our kids had run into the house after attending church at a great church that we uh, enjoyed attending while we were living in Boise, Idaho. Uh, But we were unsettled in what God was calling me to do in my life. For 15 years, I had been serving in uh, a couple of different Christian schools as a Bible teacher and a coach and administrator. Uh, But I, I didn't feel like I was in the right place. I don't know if you've ever been that way, where you just felt a little bit out of joint. And I remember uh, talking with my wife, and we were talking about all different kinds of things, trying to seek God's vision and God's desire. And I made a statement. I said, what if we planted a church? And then I quickly caught myself and said, no, 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 I don't have any idea what that means. I love teaching God's word, and and I believe that he's gifted me to preach, but uh, there's a lot more, I'm guessing, that goes into running the church, and the fact is there is. I said, you know what would need to happen if God wanted me to be in that kind of role? He would have to call a place like Salem Heights Church to call me, to bring me in, to make me part of a team, to train me up, to know what it means to be a shepherd. Two days later, I had just changed my phone number. Hadn't really communicated that out to anybody, uh, to a a Boise area code, a 208. After keeping my phone for a couple of years over there, we were planting to stay. That's why we changed the number. And out out of the norm, I get a voicemail, and it says, Hey, this is Pastor Justin Green. I think this is Pete Potloff's phone. If it is, I've got a proposition for you. Why don't you call me back? I hadn't told anybody besides my wife, but God was already moving. See, that's what God does. God cares about this church. He cares about his people. He cares about all of his churches because he's called many gifted people and he's gifted them to be about the ministry of the word of God. But here's what you need to know. God loves Salem Heights Church, and he will continue to call people here who are passionate about pointing them to him. And I'm just so thankful to be a part of this and and have the opportunity as the young guy on the team to be able to talk about vision because that's one of the things I love to do. Where are we headed? I I like to talk about this. We just took as a staff a a strength finder's test and we got to look at what are our strengths on the team. And and mine tend to be in the area of vision, looking forward, being futuristic, wanting to talk about how is today going to impact us going into the future. So I'm very, very honored to talk to you today, and to be able to let God's word give us some vision. Does that sound good? All right, you got to be more energetic. First service gives me more energy. Let's go. Go, that's good. We uh, thank you. <laughs> Second week of this series, where are we headed? and last week we kind of laid out for you what we as as leaders here, the pastors and elders of Salem Heights Church what we feel called to do. When we looked at Colossians 128, we are called to proclaim God's word. So the preaching of God's word will take place every time we get together for church. We talked about how we're called to teach every man. So we don't don't really bother or we're not bothered by people coming in with different uh, stages of spiritual maturity. We're gonna come alongside every man and help them take the next step in their walk with Jesus. And we're called to admonish. We're called the, the heavy burden of coming alongside those who are drifting, those who are caught in sin and be able to say, this is what Jesus wants us, to, wants us to tell you. This is what we're about. And we're called to take care of the actual babies, we said, looking at the children and how they are so important to the future of the church because we want to be a 100-year church. We want to be a church that makes a difference here in Salem and Kaiser and the surrounding area, but not for our glory, but for his. That in 100 years, people would know that there was something going on in South Salem that impacted this region of our state but they're not going to remember our names because that's not important. They're going to remember a passionate commitment to Jesus Christ. And so we've been praying for revival. Uh, the merriam webster Dictionary defines revival as an act or instance of reviving, a renewed attention or interest to something, a restoration of force, validity, or effect. When we talk about revival, we are praying that God would restore renew, revive a passion and thirst for him and his word in our city, not just in the churches, but to those who right now currently don't thirst and hunger for his word, that God would use his church to reach those who are far from him and tell them the good news that God loves them and he sent his son to die on the cross for their sins. And if they will believe in that death and burial and resurrection story, the good news of the gospel, they can have their sins forgiven and enter into a life-giving, satisfying relationship. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're praying for. So how do we determine what God's steps are? What is the vision for how we can be used by Him to see revival happen here in Salem and Kaiser? Leonard Ravenhill in his book on revival says this, there are two prerequisites to successful Christian living. One is vision and the other is passion. And both are born and maintained in prayer. Revival is something, it's an experience that has to start inside the church. And then it's through evangelism that's an expression of the revival that's already taken place in God's people. Could it be said about Salem Heights that the people who attend, the people who are regular attenders, the people who are participating in this local body have been revived. There's a life in them that's undeniable, but has nothing to do with them. It's Jesus in them. Can that be said? Well, that's what we're hoping for. That's what we desire. We want to be transformed from the inside out. So I want to take us to Ephesians chapter three. We're going to start in verse 14. And what we're going to look at are four truths that I believe can shape our vision. I believe that these are things that as your pastors and elders, we consider as we consider the next steps towards seeing revival happen in our city. And I think for all of us this morning, even in your own personal walk, I believe these four truths can be used by you, can be taken and applied to your life, and can help you identify God's vision for your life as well. So would you stand with me in honor of God's word? We're going to read Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote these words. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, And that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now here are the two verses we're going to focus on. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Do you believe there's something in there for us this morning? There is. You may be seated. Four truths that shape our vision. Four truths that we need to cling to and remember as we are seeking out God's vision, God's next steps for us, both personally and as a church. And the first one is this. God is presently at work The first word we see here in verse 20 is now. Now. God is the God of the I am, not the I was. You remember the first time he said that? Exodus chapter 3, he's talking to Moses through a burning bush. And he's telling Moses, I'm going to send you to to Egypt to go talk to Pharaoh. And I'm going to have you tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses asks him, well, who should I say has sent me when I speak to him? And God tells him in Exodus 3, verses 13 and 14, I am who I am. Tell him I am has sent me to you. That word I am literally means to be. It's defined as this, that God stands ever present and unchangeable, completely sufficient in himself to do what he wills, to do and accomplish what he wills, to accomplish. He is the I am. He is the God of the now. God is presently doing something right now. He's at work. He's in control. He's in authority. This is an exciting truth. This should motivate us to pray. We should be seeking him and asking him to identify what is it that he is currently doing so that we can join him in it. God is presently at work. Do you believe that's true? That God is the God of the present, not of the the I was or will be, but he's the God of the now. Does your life reflect that belief? He is. But the second thing we see here in verses 20 and 21 is God is able to accomplish all That he desires. You know, throughout the Bible, there are many names for God. Now, again, man did not create these names. God inspired human authors to write these names down about himself. And many of them communicate to us certain things about him certain attributes, character, qualities of him that he wants us to know about him. This is a New Testament description that the the Holy Spirit directs Paul to write because look what it says, now to him who is able. That's the description of God that he wants us to know. This is a summation of of this this letter, this uh, some call it a doxology. It's kind of because of all the things that I've said, why should you listen to that? It's because God is the one who's able to do it. God is the one that's able to carry it out. God is able to accomplish all that he desires. When I was growing up, I I love basketball, and my favorite player was Michael Jordan. But something happened, unfortunately. See, I remember Michael Jordan's last play on the Bulls, an amazing shot at the end of the game against Utah to win his sixth championship. I was a senior in high school. I mean, I remember watching that game, and he retires. I mean, the best way you can go out, clutch shot, the best of all time, the greatest. But for some reason... He wanted to come back and play for the Wizards. And even though at one time I saw him in all of his greatness, his ability to do things that other players couldn't do, the ability to transform the game, when he came back and played for the Wizards, he just was a little diminished. He wasn't as fast. He couldn't jump as high. He couldn't shoot as well. He couldn't defend as well. He had moments of greatness, He still had some moments of flashes of what he used to be, but even Michael Jordan diminished. I want you to know something about God. Our God is able. His power, his strength never diminishes. You might ask yourself, what is it that God is able to do? What can he actually do in my life? Well, let me share some of the verses where he speaks to what he's able to do. You can write down these references, and this week, if you want to go back and look at them, you're welcome to do that. How is God able? Well, he is able, it says in Hebrews 2, to come to the aid of those who are tempted. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says that he is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. It says in Jude, verse 24, that he is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. I think all three of those things that we need in our life. He's able to help me be victorious over temptation. He's able to give me the grace I need to be able to do the work that he's called me to do. He's able to keep me from stumbling and help me finish well as a follower of Jesus Christ. But this isn't just a New Testament concept. In Daniel chapter 3, we remember Daniel's three buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're threatened with their lives for not bowing down to a false statue. And this is what they say in Daniel 3 verse 17. Our God whom we serve, yet he's able to deliver us from the furnace of the blazing fire. He is able This is the source of our confidence. As we're seeking a vision for God, as we're beginning to to ask him, God, what is it that you want me to do right now? And he begins to answer that. We need to remember that he is able to accomplish it in our lives. Whatever he calls us to do, whatever he wants us to join in, he is able to make it come to pass. This is the source of our confidence. It shouldn't be in our own ability. Our experience, the successes we've had in ministry, the successes we've had in discipleship, As we seek God's will, He's going to give you a vision. And that vision of what He wants you to call to, you need to know He is going to empower you to accomplish it. Do you believe that's true? God is able, which means that He has all the authority, all the ability, all the access, and all the assets to do far more abundantly beyond what you and I can even ask or think. That's our God. Do you believe that? So as we're praying for vision... We believe that He is present right now. He's doing something. And that He is able to do whatever it is He's at work at. But Then there's a third thing we see here. And that is this, that God is at work within us. The power of the Holy Spirit is within us. It equips us beyond our natural abilities. Because the things that God often calls us to, the things that God is about, are often things that we ourselves cannot do on our own. But he equips us with the power, it says, the power that works within us. That is the Holy Spirit at work in us. In Acts 1.8, Jesus, right before he goes back to heaven, says this to his followers. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the earth that power is at work within us. Because sometimes the vision that God gives us is bigger than we expected. God, give me a vision. What is it that you want me to be doing? What is it that you want me to be passionate about? What is it that you want me to focus my time and my energy and my, my efforts? What is it, God? And when God answers, sometimes it's bigger than we expected. And for some of us, that causes us to cower away a little bit in fear I can't do that. I could never accomplish that. You're right, but he can. Sometimes the vision that he gives us is bigger than we feel that we're ready for, or able to do. But what he calls us to, he will equip us to do. So we should have no fear. There is a power inside of you that whatever vision God has given you, he is going to equip you to accomplish it. If you will let him be your power source and not rely on your own strengths and abilities. This morning, as you come in, if you think through the last week, what's your power source been? As you've faced all kinds of opportunities, all kinds of choices in your life, in your marriage, in your family, at work, at the grocery store, as you've had to make decisions, and hopefully you're making decisions that are pleasing to God, that are glorifying to Him, what's been your power source? Has it been a bank of reserves that you've built in, just kind of years of training and, and behavioral modification that you just rely on, that you're just going to make the right decision because you've trained yourself to be like a Christian? Or is it in every moment you are seeking God and saying, God, what is it you want me to do? Constant communication with him. We should have no fear. This shouldn't surprise us that he's at work within us because when he works inside of frail, human, imperfect people, he gets all the glory. Amen. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. So when we're seeking God's vision and we're praying as your leadership team and as you're praying in your own individual life, God, give us a vision for the future. What are the next steps we should be doing? What are the things you want us to be planning for now to get ready for what you're calling us to do in the future? We got to remember he's at work now. He is able to do whatever he desires. He's going to empower us to be a part of that. And then the last thing we see here out of these two verses is this. God's work is about his glory. Whatever God calls you to do, whatever God leads us to do as a church, for us to make sure it's about his vision and in line with his vision, it will always result in him getting all the glory. If there's anything that we ever call you to do as your leadership team here at Salem Heights Church, where in some ways it builds up our name, It builds up our platform. It builds up our ability to influence a culture so that we get the credit that is not in God's will. He does things for his glory. The Bible is about him. He is glorified by redeeming us. He is glorified by bringing us in and taking us as broken, fragile human vessels and empowering us to actually be able to do something of eternal value. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who is... At work in you, both will and good to work for his good pleasure. In verse 21, it says, To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. What a powerful direction that we can get from just two little verses in the book of Ephesians. This little letter to a group of Christians there as we've been given uh, this opportunity to join God, as we pray for vision as a church, and as we we believe that God wants to see revival happen here in the Willamette Valley, and we want to know, God, what is it that you are calling us to do? We are committed to praying and then waiting. Isaiah 64, the prophet writes out, Oh Lord, that you would rend the heavens and come down. And and he gives these descriptions that would be the evidence of God coming down and being at work. But it says in Isaiah 64, 4, that that they were going to pray and then wait for God to move. We don't want to get ahead of God and then ask him to bless what we have come up with. We want to wait for his vision. And when he says go, we say yes. And we're going to believe these truths that we read here in Ephesians chapter 3 as we seek his vision he is at work now. He's doing something and he wants us to join him. He is able to do whatever it is. No matter what kind of world or sinful opposition is out there, it does not compare to his power and his ability. That he's at work within us. He's going to empower us for anything he calls us to do. And that we should not be surprised that as we pray for vision, that vision is bigger than our own natural abilities. And that whatever it is, if it is his vision, if it's what he wants us to step in, it will be for his glory. If it's not, don't step. In fact, run away from that. So this morning we want to share that with you. How do we as your team, how do we kind of approach this process of thinking about the future? How are we coming up with these things as we shared for now for two weeks? We're sharing kind of a, a little bit of our philosophy of why we, what we feel called to do as leaders and, and how we come about making decisions. We hope this encourages you, but I believe this is for you, believer. I believe that this, this verse, these two verses in Ephesians 3 are super helpful to discovering what God's vision is for you in your life as well, not just the life of our church. But I wanna just take a few minutes as we, wrap up our time this morning then to kind of apply this to then how has this led us or what has this led us to believe is the future or the vision or the next steps in two areas of ministry here one being missions and the other being children's ministry we have four questions in our notes that we'll be answering but before we get to that we just want to answer those questions why do we do missions here at Salem Heights Church if you wouldn't mind turning over with me to Romans chapter 10 Romans chapter 10 gives us a reason for why we feel called to be a missional church. Last week, if you were here, we talked about how we, we have been missional, and we will continue to be missional. We'll talk about this in just a few minutes. But we also believe that, it, that we are called now to shift our focus and really begin to also focus on our community, other churches, other pastors here in Salem and Kaiser. But look what Paul writes to the Roman church in Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 13. He says, For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And and how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. We believe why we do missions is because God's gift of salvation has been offered to all mankind. And because of that, it says here that only those who hear the message are able to respond to it. So how are they going to hear unless we go out and tell them? That's why we feel called to be missional. So your notes say this, the church, and again, the church is not just a building or a program or an entity in this area, but believers, you who are saved, make up the church the church has been commissioned to be active in the proclamation of the gospel to the ends of the earth. That is why we do missions. God has extended salvation to all men. They must hear it to respond to it in faith. So we need to take it to them. We need to take it to them. Take the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. But but why do we do Children's ministry. Why do we care about kids? Turn with me over to Deuteronomy chapter six. I believe that God's desire for how we should respond to kids is something that's been all the way since the beginning of the creation of the family. And so we turn to the earlier pages of the scriptures. Deuteronomy chapter six is our foundation for all of our children's ministry here. And in Deuteronomy chapter six, Verses 5 through 7, it says this. It says, you, and that's talking to parents, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. Still speaking to parents. But then look what the switch is here in verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk to them when you sit in your house." and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. We see here a specific call to parents to be the ones who are growing individually in their relationship with the Lord, learning all the things that God has communicated to us. But then it's the responsibility of parents to train their children. And this is a a process that goes every day while you're in your house and while you're going out and about and while you're going to sleep and when you get up, we should be as parents constantly training our kids to know what God says. To know what God has called us to do. The word here in Deuteronomy 6 says to be diligent. The dictionary defines diligent as characterized by a steady, earnest and energetic effort. And then it uses this word, painstaking. If you've have the opportunity to work with kids or raise kids of your own, this is a very accurate definition to the process of discipleship. It is painstaking. It requires steadiness, energy, consistency to train them up. But that is the job that he has called us to do. So why do we as the church care about kids if the responsibility to raise kids spiritually and to disciple them is placed on the parent? Because we care about the parents too. So we are called to be in partnership We're going to come alongside parents and to help them. And we're going to serve alongside them and also pour into their children because we believe children are not the church of tomorrow. They are the church of today. And because of that, their discipleship is as significant as any other believer. We believe that. And we've arrived at those conclusions based on a prayerful consideration of a vision from God, believing that he's active now, that he is able to do it. That whatever God's going to call us to do in missions and in children's ministry, He's going to empower us with the power that works within us, and it's going to be all for His glory. So let's answer a few questions. We want to give you guys a little bit more information. And as we do that, we're going to get to kids' ministry at the end, But you might have noticed in your, in your bulletin this morning, and we may mention this last week, and many of you who are regular attenders at Salem Heights Church. Uh, received a letter this week that kind of shared again. Uh, we have a children's remodel project that I'm going to give more details about here in just a few minutes. But in your bulletin, uh, we have a special envelope. If you've been praying this week and have asked the Lord, Lord, what is it that you want me to contribute to help make this project a reality here in the summer? We have an envelope that you can place your your gift in there and drop it in any offering boxes. But perhaps you weren't here last week, perhaps you didn't get the letter, or perhaps you forgot uh, we also have placed in there a pledge card, and in there it's just going to give you the opportunity. If you uh, don't know what it is that the Lord, maybe in the next few moments you can be praying, God, what is it that you want me to give to this ministry? And then on the back of that pledge card, there's some information on other ways that you can give uh, through the website. Uh, electronically if you want to do that, if you don't want to give in another way. But here's what I would say in these next few moments as I answer some of those questions, if you haven't thought about this, and again, if you're a guest with us or you're not a Salem Hider, uh, please, this is not for you. This is for those who call Salem Hides Church their home. Uh, We would love for you to consider that. There's nothing worse than coming to the church your very first Sunday and hearing about money. Uh, We don't talk about money very much. In fact, we don't pass a plate, and you're going to have to search for our uh, offering boxes because they're colored the same color as the wall paint, so they're not easy to find. But we believe in this because we believe in kids, and we'll talk more about why, what this project is going to help us to accomplish, but I want to give you that opportunity to be thinking about it now so that when you leave today, we'd ask for you to either make a donation or to make a pledge. And if you're not ready, you can take this home and bring it back sometime during the week, but we'd love to know here in a few weeks after Easter, we'd love to be able to share with, the, with you what God has done through you. So we'll switch back to missions here for just a few minutes. How, question number one, how will missions remain vibrant if we have new goals close to home? We talked last week about how we're going to shift now some of our energy and our attention to pouring into our community. But we also mentioned last week that the missions program has always been designed to be a capstone of the discipleship project and process, and that the idea is that going on a short-term mission would energize me and give me a passion to come home and do the exact same kind of ministry here in my neighborhood, here in my community, here at the church, and so we believe that this will continue, because our our call is to present every person who attends Salem Heights Church to pour into them and invest into them so that they may be presented complete in Christ, fully mature, one of the marks of spiritual maturity is your ability to go out and share your faith. And we believe that is effectively done on the mission field. And so one of the slogans that you might see more often, it's on our new missions while out there, is the idea from the harvest to the harvest. The scriptures talk about in Matthew, Jesus said he looked out and he was seeing all the people who, who were lost as sheep without a shepherd. And he said to pray The harvest is ready. Pray for those who would go and work the harvest, who would take the message of the good news to them so that they would believe and join the family of God, but not just to stay there after their their salvation and then be discipled, but that they would be the ones that then go out in the future from the harvest to be saved, to believe in the gospel for yourself, then to, to be developed through discipleship, to be able to go out and then go back to the harvest and be the ones now that are participating in that work. That is our heart's desire so it will remain the engine for our outreach here at home it's part of our discipleship process and we believe it's a key to equipping us to serve because there's something about getting outside of your comfort zone going to an unfamiliar place where maybe you don't know the language or you don't know the culture and to be able to serve and watch god fill in in those places of of weakness fill in in those places where you feel stretched There's something that's supernatural that takes place, God, in you and through you when you put yourself in that kind of situation and you serve in that way. And we believe that that is what has led to this desire now to come home and to continue that work here in our city. And we want you to know that as missions continues to be part of our our ministry here and continues to be an engine that drives outreach and the investment here in Salem that all of the pastors and elders, one of the requirements to be part of our pastoral team or our elder team is that you yourself participate in missions. Every one of our pastors has participated. Every one of our elders has participated in a missions trip, multiple mission trips. In fact, uh, the majority of our team this summer are all leading trips to different parts of the world, participating, leading, because we believe it's important. This year, we have eight trips planned for 2019, Uh, We have a team called our Missions Advisory Team that comes together and it helps advise uh, next steps. And so that team's gonna be working on possible new locations, new opportunities for 2020. But we are excited about that. And so we do not believe there's gonna be any diminishing of our Missions program as we start to turn some of our attention here back in our community. Question two, how is Missions more than program or hype? Uh, There's an interesting thing about learning That there's been some studies done about how people learn, and there's something called the learning pyramid. I wanted to show you a picture of it. Uh, They have what they call passive teaching methods and participatory teaching methods, and and this is probably true. I mean, the the statistics will fluctuate person to person, but what they have found is that most people learn about, they retain about 5% of what they learn through the act of lecturing. And then they've retained about 10% of what they learned through the act of reading. Isn't it unique how most of discipleship comes through hearing someone teach it and reading it? How are we going to grow as much as we could possibly grow if that's the only way we're being discipled? But look down below as you get into the participatory teaching methods, group discussion. This is 50% retention. That's a lot higher that you're going to remember and apply it through discussion. This is what build, we're building around in our small group ministry and our discipleship ministry. And even in all of our children's ministry, and our mid-high and high school ministry, we have what we call discipleship teams, D-teams, where the kids go and break into small groups and they talk about, what does what we learn from God's word mean to me? How do I apply it to my life? But then practice. This is where missions comes in, where we go out and we actually do the work. We participate alongside the leaders of the church. We are not just going to let them tell us about it. We're going to be part of that work. But ultimately, being the capstone of our discipleship process, being one of the clear markers of spiritual maturity in your life is your ability to go out and actually teach the gospel to somebody else. To be able to teach it, be able to teach God's word, be able to come along somebody as a disciple or as a mentee or a mentor, be able to pour into them and help them grow in their discipleship. The retention rate is skyrocketed, right? 90% that that faith is going to become your own. Missions has proved to be more than program or hype. It's life-changing More than even sometimes scholarly studies, we have found people who have gone to Bible college or seminary would say that stuff is helpful and profitable. You're always going to glean something from education. But it wasn't until I actually started to participate and do the work that it actually became real. I've learned so much more through this process. The payout and the reward from our experience, from our vantage point, is greater in the work. We've also seen a significant impact to families and students through missions in their lives over past spring break we had some students who came and we didn't have a, a spring break uh, mission trips that are for our students because theirs is in the summer we had a handful of students that went to our director tim southfield said, hey so what are we doing for spring break some of these students have served on past mission trips or they've served in our rock salt club rock salt on tuesday night as leaders and, and song leaders they participated in Be Bold ministry, doing the breakfast and helping out with the homeless. And these kids have been part of the missions program, and now they're coming and saying, Hey, can we do more? And so they took a picture of their feet. That's all I had from that day, this group of kids. They met here at the church, they prayed in this circle, and then they walked down to the bus stop. They got on the bus, they went downtown to the bus depot and they began to do ministry. They've been going to have people, passing out water bottles. They bought a pair of shoes for one man who who had just nothing. They began to pray with people. There was one group that they interacted with a a man who had some obvious mental uh, things that were were going on that he was struggling with, and they just were praying for him and encouraging him. And then they met up for tacos at Marco's and just talked about what God had done. This is the impact that missions is having on our kids and our students it's more than program or hive. It's more than saying, yeah, I did this program. Yeah, I participated in that. It's changing their lives and it's making them hungry to do more. So it's not just something we do to be trendy or cool. We believe it is critical to changing lives as participating in missions. Question three. Okay, this is great, Pete. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here for a second. We see it. You believe in it. It's a good thing, but maybe you've had this concern. How is our outreach program and the different things that we're doing to reach into our, com- our community, how is this different than the social gospel? Maybe you know what the social gospel is or maybe you don't. The social gospel uh, really kind of shifts the focus away from a person being saved and knowing Jesus Christ as their Savior and focuses the concern on social, is- social issues and social action. It elevates justice and cultural restoration over a person's personal salvation in Jesus Christ. Now, this is a broad topic. There's lots of different people. People land on the spectrum of this conversation but there have been some of you who have raised concerns like when we are talking about feeding Salem here in a few weeks and giving food away and we go and we do breakfast for the homeless and we, we go and we raise up supplies to, to give to those who are less fortunate. Uh, is that really what we're sh- we should be doing? Is that really what the church is called to do? I want you to hear, hear this clearly. We believe that the forgiveness of sins and reconciliation to God is man's greatest need. Anything that we do that it's just merely from a humanitarian guilt or humanitarian desire is missing the mark. But with that said, that is not the only need we've been called to meet as the church. Russell Moore, uh, uh, author and, and leader, said this, The gospel of the historic Christianity is cosmic, In Jesus, God reconciles to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross, Colossians 1.20. That means that we must be concerned, as Jesus is, with the whole of human experience, recognizing the curse of sin and human suffering, as well as human guilt. 1 John 3, verse 17 says this, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. We believe we as a church have a responsibility to take the gospel, to proclaim him every week. That's our number one, to, to, to teach every man, come alongside those who are any part of the spiritual spectrum, the spiritual maturity spectrum, to be able to admonish and to take care of the church. But as we do that, and we want to meet their greatest need, you need to hear that from us. We believe too that we loving, people, because God loves people, that we are called also to consider that. To to look at those who are in need and say out of generosity, I'm laying down my things to help those who are in need because I get all I need from the Lord. And so we're not going to let this shift or drift away from where we're doing things and you never hear about Jesus. But I know that many of you have participated in many of the different outreach things that we have taken on as a church. Camp Agape. Camp Agape. Uh, Be Bold Street Ministries, Feed Salem, Tools for Teachers, giving out food boxes, and you've been the ones that have delivered them. And I would tell you, you know this, and if you haven't seen it, you need to come and participate, that every single time we do that, it is to tell them about Jesus' love for them. It's to invite them to church. It's to meet a greater need. And so we are... We are not about the social gospel, but we're definitely about doing what God has called us to do. We believe that we are called to be a great example in this community that Christ coming through us says we're going to be generous people who take care of those who are in need. But ultimately, it is their spiritual need. There's no mistaking this. It is their spiritual condition that is their greatest need. If they are not in relationship with Jesus, they need to deal with that issue. And there's only one way to do that. It's only through Jesus Christ and the gospel. We doing good. Hopefully, this is helpful. We are passionate about missions because it has impacted so many people's lives. It, it is what has allowed us now to come into this season and go. Our people are fired up. They want to go on mission trips, and, and and when if they can't go on mission trips every year, they're asking for ways to get involved in our community and serve other churches and other ministries. And so we believe that both of them will work hand in hand, and that they are vital for us becoming a hundred year church. And now children's ministry. Uh, where are we headed there? We care about kids. And you care about kids because you keep having them. And <laughs> we are growing and growing and growing. Not, I mean, just in, in a really awesome way through the gift of children. And, uh, and so we believe that we need to not let that just be a cute thing or a fun thing or something we're excited about, but then kind of ignore it. We need to actually invest our attention to children's ministry. And so we said last week, we want to do this remodel project. And we had some questions this week. We're excited that you want to do that. Could you give us a little bit more detail? So let me tell you about how we hope to enhance our facilities with this remodel project and what it's going to entail. Uh, The main strategy is out here through our northwest entrance, right by our cafe. That's where you head down by our gym and into our children's ministry wing. The church was built in three different phases, and so it's kind of a maze down some narrow hallways to get to where we have just life coming out of every crack and every doorway. We believe that we need to enhance the safety and security of that area to be able to see clearly into that area And to be able to have a designated area that's very visible and clean and inviting to new families that this is what we have created for your children to be discipled. And so this project is going to rebuild the whole ramp structure with with ramps that are ADA compliant, new steps that lead into a brand new opening that's going to go into the wall and into a brand new kind of landing space for families when they first get to church. There's going to be a permanent check-in stations there. There's going to be a more designated area for new families to come and know this is where I get my kids signed up for the first time and it's going to be much more accessible, have much more areas to get around, because if you have kids, you know that once you turn that corner, it's a log jam, as we're waiting for our kids to get done with their discipleship, so we want to have a place where parents can visit, parents can wait, it's easy to get in and out, and so we're going to open up that wall, we're going to redo that area behind the wall, which was our old kitchen, and we're making changes there to be able to make up for the loss of that kitchen, we have a new kitchen, we have some other spots around, and we're we're changing some of our processes, but We're going to make a new access into that wall, have an official check-in, and it's also going to allow us to build uh, an uh, ADA-approved ramp into our gymnasium for those with disabilities to be able to get into that area of our church, which currently we do not not have. The other thing that we're very excited about is down the narrow hallway in that area. It's our preschool hallway, we call it. Uh, We have right now three entry points that you can get into that hallway. And so we're going to put on both ends of that hallway security doors with electronic uh, ability to electronically get into those doors so that we can, during certain types of ministry, we can close that off and make it very difficult for anybody just to walk in that area. And if there were ever an emergency where we needed to shut down the area completely and keep our kids enclosed and safe, with these remodels and the new openings and the new doorways, we're able to do that quickly and safely for the kids. And so the cost of that project, like we said last week, is $90,000 to be able to do all those things, to be able to put the, everything up to code and do it safely and well. If you want to see, like if you like to kind of look at blueprints and plans as you head out today, we actually have copies of the actual plans, um, what that's going to look like. And everything's been, uh, we've been working with C.D. Redding and Architects, Carson Vite. So we're really excited. And again, we have scheduled that to start July 15th. But here's what it's going to do. It's going to be safer. It's going to have better accessibility, and it's going to be an obvious and intentional and inviting entrance for our families. When you come to Salem Heights Church, we're not sticking the kids into a part of the church that no one cares about. We're we're placing them in a place that is a showpiece. We, We want them to be excited to come to church, and that's going to be evident by where they get to go and learn about Jesus. If you have more questions about that, we'd love to talk to you about that and answer and maybe paint an even better picture with that but that's what we're going to be doing. But that's not the only thing we're doing to enhance children's ministry. Real quickly, let me finish with this. We have uh, recently built what we call our children's ministry advisory team. Uh, This is built up of people who are professional educators. We have many of you who are uh, not only just teaching in, in both public and private schools here in Salem and Kaiser, but we have some people who have actually been recognized as award winning Crystal Apple winners in our church. People who who are not only good, they are extremely talented in the area of education and elementary and preschool age kids. We have built a team of those people to come alongside and to assist us in our area. They're going to help us with training our teachers who are coming because they want to disciple kids but maybe they have no background in that. They're going to help us equip those teachers to make the most out of discipleship times. They're going to help us be innovative, and they're going to help us with their expertise, be able to not waste times on things that don't work with grade school age kids, to make it specific for them in a way that is going to lead to them growing the most in Christ. We've also been praying, as my role is kind of uh, modified and, and, and been moving around, as I continue to oversee that, we've been praying, we've identified that there is a need for a more permanent children's ministry director, someone who can come in and just really, that is their one area of ministry because of where it's growing. As the elders and pastors have been praying, uh, we've been praying specifically that God would, would bring that person in. And, and we do believe that we have uh, a, a person in mind that we've been talking to. And there'll be more about that in the future. But uh, we believe that God's starting to answer that prayer. And it's going to lead us to have someone in there that is, that, is, that, is, that, is, that is their ministry. No other hats. They are called to help us make this vision for children's ministry a reality. But this partnership is key. We have to do it with the help of parents. We want to continue to work in our partnership with you, keeping you communicated with and making you part of the process because it's your responsibility that we want to support you in. But we believe that this is essential. Investing in our kids is essential for us being a 100-year church. So those are a little bit more information of where we're going a vision for the future to continue to grow our missions program continue to let it be the engine that drives ministry here back at home, to continue to invest in our children because they are the church of today. And we want to raise them up in the knowledge of him and his word. And as we do that, we believe that God will honor that. We believe that is his vision because we believe that he is wanting to do that now through this church, through you, through the power that's in you for his glory. And so we want to invite you to join us in that work and to partner with us. And so again, if you have come this morning prepared to contribute to that remodel project, you can drop that in the envelope and drop it off in any of the offering boxes as you leave. If you feel like you can make a pledge and want to bring that in later on this week or over the next couple of weeks, you can do that as well. If you need to take that pledge card home and pray about it, talk with your spouse and family and bring it back, that's also okay. But we believe that God is leading us to do this. And we believe that he's going to accomplish it through the generosity and commitment of our people. Let's pray. God, I do thank you for vision. I thank you for giving us a clear vision. I thank you for being a God who not only is at work, but has invited us to be a part of that work. And I pray, God, that you would continue to keep not only the pastors and elders of Salem Heights Church, but all of its people connected to you, that we would be humble, that we'd be seeking out your will, that we would not move until you have opened up the door, that we would still have a measure of faith, that even when the vision seems bigger than expected or we don't feel like we can pull it off, that we would, by faith, be obedient to the vision you've given us, God. We thank you. And we pray that you would allow your will to be done. We pray this in your son's beautiful name.